Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. If we put caregivers, they will not be able to care for those who are sick. So socially distancing, using masks, uh, cleaning our hands, whatever is required is not only important for our loved ones in the community, but for those that are on the front line that are necessary to care for those who are not well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. This is Gavin Ward, co-host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, co-host Zach Morgan returned to the show and sat down with both myself and returning guest, Eric Wexler. Eric is the chief executive of Providence St. Joseph Health in Southern California, which is, when you consider all the providers, considered the largest healthcare system in Southern California. In today's episode, Eric talks about the merger between Providence and St. Joseph Health that has finalized over the last couple years, the current partnership with Providence Tarzana and Cedar sinai as well as how the Providence system has responded to the COVID-19 crisis, including a mention of some of the unsung heroes within the hospital, or as Providence might call them, the ministries of Providence St. Joseph Health. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and if you do, feel free to leave a review on iTunes, and of course, check out other episodes of Pop Health Podcast by reviewing our site, pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the show. So, Eric, when we first met you, probably about four years ago now, you were new to Southern California and new to what was then known as Providence Health. Uh... Tell us a little bit about maybe outside of the workplace, how the last three to four years been for you. Um, yeah, we'll go, we'll start with that. Well, you know, living in California uh, has been, um, it's such, such a blessing for Stephanie and I, uh, we, we spent our whole lives in the Northeast and, and lived in some wonderful places there. California is, is more of a match for the type of lifestyle that we live. You know, we, we bike and we hike and we like to be outside and, uh, have kind of gotten a little bit tired of uh, of the cold and the snow. So, you know, being here has, uh, I, I think, enhanced our lives. And so we're just grateful that we made the, made the move. Awesome. What is maybe different over the last three or four years? Have you found any good restaurants? Is there anything about the Northeast that you miss? You know, the thing that I would say we miss the most about the Northeast are our loved ones that all live there and some of our really close friends that we still keep in touch with, you know, very regularly, our close friends, our family, uh, you know, we fly back and forth and, and see each other. So I would say that's the, the, the thing we miss the most, you know, here in California, uh, we lived for three years uh, in Manhattan Beach and then we moved uh, to Orange County down to Newport Beach. Uh, because our offices moved, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, so we we had uh, a lot of time to experience some of the best restaurants in uh, in Los Angeles and in Los Angeles County. I think of uh, Abbot Kinney, you know that area, that road uh, with the shops and those amazing restaurants. Stephanie and I would often often venture out there on a Sunday evening and have a wonderful dinner and. Uh, you know, walk around a little bit, but all, you know, there's just so many parts of LA that we love. And now being here in Orange County, we're experiencing a whole new geography that offers, offer, offers a lot too. It's a, it's a little less congested here. So uh, I like to say living in Orange County is a little more civilized than perhaps it is <laughs> in LA, uh, but both places are just fantastic to, to, to live and 
and enjoy. Did you awesome. take advantage and of the uh, of the Orange County beaches uh, opening up momentarily uh, here just a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, uh, you know, we 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 believe it or not, even though we live uh, fairly close to uh, the waterline, we we don't spend a lot of time on the beaches. I, I do bike down there, uh, but with them being closed, which I'm glad about. Uh, I think this is a time where some of the uh, pleasures that we have had in our lives, uh, putting them on hold for just a short period of time so that we can keep people safe and alive is extremely important. Uh, so uh, we have not been down to the beach, especially since they've been closed. I, I think now that they're open, Again, uh, my, my, I hope and pray that people will practice good social distancing. Yeah, no, good, good point, Eric. So before we jump in to what's happening at Providence St. Joseph's Health, uh, got to ask about sports. So you've been here about four years now. Any developments or affinity for sports teams out here, or are you still back in the old ways? Well, you know, living in so many places over the past 30 years, you, you wind up having an affinity for a number of teams, and that then uh, unfortunately presents conflict <laughs> when uh, there are, are playoff games, uh, and so or even beyond that. Um, you know, living in Boston, if you were not a Red Sox fan, then you would get beat up. So, uh, you know, just had to be a Red Sox fan, had to be a Celtics fan, and that was all good, and still keep an eye on them. Probably maybe more the Patriots than anybody. But to be honest, um, I've really fallen in love with the Clippers. Uh, in LA. I think that team has a great spirit. Uh, I've gone to a good number of their games with uh, a colleague and a friend, and we've we've really enjoyed uh, watching them, and they they are such, uh, how they interact as a team. And it reminds me of the importance of the work that I do, and how, um, you know, I find that team they 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 work together in a way that shows appreciation and love for one another. And I often like to speak about how I need to lead with love and others need to lead with love. It brings the right type of compassion and inspiration. And I find that actually with the Clippers, the Keys, the Ravens, uh, you know, the Patriots and the Celtics and and and, uh, and so on. But being here in LA, the Clippers have have really uh, pulled uh, pulled me in. Awesome. It's as great a, to hear. I'm glad. As a lifelong to... Lakers fan, I won't, I won't hold that against you, uh, but uh, it is good to hear uh, that, that someone has caught your heart uh, there. <laughs> yeah, nothing the matter with the Lakers. Nothing the matter with the Rams and so on and so forth. Uh, but um, look, I, I, I could go through every team for you, uh, yeah. so I won't do that. I'll just stick with the ones that uh, are, are top of mind. <laughs> I'm also a lifelong Chargers fan, so I get the lovable losers, uh, uh, like the allure of uh, of that too. So uh, I understand. Uh, so it's my uh, it's so I get to take the conversation away from the more fun stuff and uh, shift it back to I think what people probably are tuning into the podcast uh, for a little bit. Um, actually, I'm going to segue it with something that you had mentioned before. Um, you mentioned that I've uh, gone under some um, significant changes geographically uh, with the move. Uh, can you expand just a little bit on uh, on that and the offices have moved? How has that changed uh, inside Providence? Yeah, sure. So uh, four years ago, a little bit more than four years, yeah, about four years ago, um, Providence Health and Services and St. Joseph Health came together. Uh, St. Joseph Health had, had uh, at that point in time, 
a good number of hospitals in Orange County and in Northern California, in Texas and New Mexico. And as you know, Providence uh, has a good number of hospitals and ambulatory assets and, and otherwise uh, in, in uh, Washington, in Montana, in, uh, in um, uh, Alaska. And uh, so, uh, you know, our, our coming together fortunately created a lot of scale for us. Uh, in total, we, 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 are, we are now the third largest health system in the United States. And that's allowed us to take uh, our best practices, which I, I hope we'll, we'll get to talk about during the podcast, and, and use them across the entire span of the Western United States where, where we exist. But for us here in Southern California, uh, it meant uh, in my region of oversight that we brought together our hospitals and our physician practices and our ambulatory centers in Orange County, in the high desert, and in Los Angeles. And uh, we are now one uh, region working together with one leadership team. And over the past three years, we have unified what we do together. Uh, we are, believe it or not, the largest healthcare provider in Southern California. Uh, Kaiser, if you, if they are large as well, uh, but if you take the insurance product out of, of Kaiser and you just look at the provider network and the services that are provided from medical medical care perspective, um, you know, Providence has a huge geography compared to most other providers. And, you know, for us, uh, you know, that means that we need to uh, take responsibility for leading the way in the very best practices in the delivery of healthcare. And when I speak to that, I speak about whole person care. You know, it's not just about providing uh, the good medical treatment and outcomes that we expect when we come into our physician practices or our ambulatory uh, care uh, centers or the hospitals. It's about the compassion and the transitions in care that we provide to people from uh, setting to setting and how we support each other uh, from a compassion perspective, but also a very spiritual perspective. We believe as a faith-based provider that that helps to heal. So we're very proud of what we're, we're, we are unlocking uh, the potential for here in Southern California, and it will continue to expand as time progresses. Well, that's, uh, I mean, that is a great opportunity, I think, to um, something that you mentioned, because uh, I think we want to ask you about some COVID things and stuff later. But before we get into that, we do want to hear about uh, these changes uh, that you're talking about. And so I think you had mentioned in there about being able to leverage the strengths of both uh, organizations um, and some of the things that that's allowed you to do. You mentioned um, the the way that it lets you care, but are there other strengths that it has given you that um, uh, have proven to be of huge benefit in bringing the two organizations together? Absolutely. A good example is the Heritage Medical Group, which is uh, the the legacy physician enterprise in Orange County. Uh, led by a highly talented uh, a group of executives, but uh, mostly driven by the physicians that uh, have helped form Heritage many, many years ago. Uh, Heritage has a, a back office function, if I, can, if I can use that a little loosely here, that helps to make sure the connectivity uh, between patient and physician 
uh, you know, from a, an appointment, a virtual, even a virtual uh, connectivity perspective is, uh, is very effective. And in, in LA, we have the Providence Medical Group and we have uh, FACI and the Doctors of St. John's and Santa Monica Family Physicians. And so, you know, coming together has allowed us to bring those uh, four medical foundations into one space where their best practices and their expertise are combined to have, I would say, you know, frankly, in all my years, it's almost 30 years being in healthcare, I would say this is the very best that I've seen in those 30 years. So that's one example. Another example is uh, what I've been speaking uh, often about since we launched the, the podcast, and that is our ambulatory network. You know, a, a lot of times health systems are known for their hospitals because they are, you know, big enterprises. Uh, they're, you know, very obviously seen off of highways and main thoroughfares, and there's a lot of very important care that's provided in those. But we've believed here in Southern California, and frankly across all of Providence, that we need to bring care closer to home. And so, you know, between what St. Joseph Health and Providence had in those uh, ambulatory centers outside in our communities, and I think of things like Express Care which we are growing, or Exer, which we are, uh, you know, a partner with others in, uh, or our ambulatory surgery centers, that these types of programs that we are now aligning these services and allowing for uh, patients to be able to access them very smoothly anywhere in the geography across Southern California, that is an enhancement. And, and, and that makes it easier for people to seek care in what we all know in the United States can be difficult at times. Absolutely, and so that brings up something else that I wanted to ask you about. I don't know uh, how much we can talk about it. I'm sorry, you can hear my little puzzle <laughs> in the background. Well, you know, that's a that's a sign of these uh, COVID nineteen times. You know, our world like we are today. We the last time we did a podcast together, we were in person. Uh, now we're doing it yep. virtually. And one of the things that I have to say that I've enjoyed is being able to see uh, uh, virtually other people's space. Uh, it gives you kind of a, a look into who they are. Uh, I'm in my office today, not at home. But when I hear dogs bark, uh, like I just did, uh, Zach, it, it, um, it actually comforts me. Uh, I love dogs. And to hear them in the background makes me know you more as a person. So that, that was a joy. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see if she lets me keep talking to her if I have to go take care of her. One of the things I wanted to ask you as you talked about expanding your bandwidth and ability is uh, can we talk a little bit about your Cedars partnership? I don't know if it's live or if it's upcoming, but that is a huge uh, merger of two powerhouses in this region. Um, and you talked about even medical group power and, and research power and all of that. So can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, uh, Zach. Um, so, you know, we have very, very high regard uh, for Cedar, Cedar sinai Health System and their leadership team. Uh, they, they, they have been um, engaged with us in many, many uh, conversations and Us for a long time, uh, but you know, we we started to recognize that uh, they had a, a good number of physicians and uh, other uh, patient programs located in the Tarzana community, and we sat down with them 
Um, we said, you know, as we as we think about uh, Tarzana Reimagined, which is building of that acute care facility, is there a way for us to come together and deliver care in the community in a more seamless fashion, you know, and try to avoid duplication, uh, you know, advanced care, but also keep it efficient. And uh, both parties got excited about the opportunity. And ultimately, we landed on uh, on partnering at Tarzana Medical Center in a way that uh, brought us together with a new governance board with us, with Cedar sinai uh, helped to fund the construction of the new and improved facility there and for us to work together collaboratively on our outpatient programs uh, where appropriate. Uh, what we have found, it's, it's been almost um, about uh, almost nine months since uh, we were became uh, affiliated together officially. What we have found is it was absolutely the right decision as we come together from a governance perspective and we think about uh, our opportunities to increase access to patients in the community, uh, we are absolutely aligned and we continue to be excited, inspired in fact, about what can be done there. So we, we believe that uh, this will be an example for other ways that systems like and Providence can come together, uh, two faith-based organizations, you know, one of the Jewish faith and one of the Catholic faith, and there's a lot of commonalities there, uh, but come together and, uh, and advance care for our community. Awesome. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, uh, if you're aware, Eric, but we actually had Dale Surowitz on the show, I think last year. And um, I was at an event in April of 2019 um, for an organization called Liberation in the San Fernando Valley. And Dale uh, was introducing um, an award winner and he mentions the Cedars uh, Tarzana partnership, which I wasn't aware of at the time and uh, had the opportunity to beat him that evening. And he was gracious enough to be on the show last year where it was in the early stages. So it's kind of cool to hear your perspective uh, nine months or maybe a year from when I spoke with Dale. And it's also cool to hear his story that he used to ride his bike before the hospital was even built. And I'm sure you, you, you probably know this. <laughs> oh, I do. Uh, he, yeah. Dale has been in our organization and the predecessors of our organization for 26 years. Uh, but the fact that he grew up in that community and he used to ride his bike by the site where Tarzana is today on his way to school and that he helped create the, the Providence Cedar sinai relationship at Tarzana is, uh, is, is perhaps one of his uh, best accomplishments. And uh, we're honored to have Dale as a member of our senior leadership team and uh, is an absolute uh, pro at uh, leading in the healthcare space. Nice. Well, hey, if the Red Sox and Dodgers uh, end up in the World Series again, I think you should, uh, should sit next to each other. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, moving right along. Let's talk about COVID, um, which I know has been in the news constantly. And we, we didn't want this show to be, you know, good focused, but we do think it's important for you to share maybe with the healthcare community, the our audience, our healthcare professionals, the public does listen as well. Tell us about your response to COVID-19. Yeah, this uh, pandemic, uh, 
been quite the learning experience for us around the world. Uh, you know, it's it. Unfortunately, uh, nothing is ever perfect, and so you know when I when I speak to learning, I think that coming out of this, uh, we have to make changes going forward. We have to understand when we begin to experience the threat of a virus or an illness that can spread quickly, that perhaps one of the most important things for us to uh, make sure is in place is, is testing. I would say that, uh, that more than anything, you know, we, we can talk about uh, personal protective equipment, which we often refer to as PPE, as another learning. But uh, before you get to need PPE, you need to be able to test people and see whether they have that virus or illness. Uh, so coming out of this, uh, I think one of the important opportunities is to understand that the CDC can't be the only testing site when we believe there's a major threat. We've got to deploy our diagnostics out into our communities uh, in lightning speed. Uh, the second learning, of course, is what I referenced, and that is personal protective equipment. I think we believed we had stockpiles in the United States and other places around the world that would be enough uh, for a pandemic, but uh, not the case. And uh, you know, our maintenance of those stockpiles, uh, both the strategic stockpile that the federal government has and the strategic stockpile that the state has, and frankly, stockpiles that health systems have that are strategically located, including our, uh, they likely need to be expanded. Uh, and we have to have more foolproof systems for reprocessing of N95 and KN95 type masks uh, we have put in place, but that needs to be um, sitting at the ready should a pandemic occur. In this particular yeah. pandemic, and go into other pandemics, uh, the, the things that we have put in place, including social distancing, uh, become, they are hard. Uh, we protest even uh, when, when those have been in place for extended periods of time. They uh, absolutely protect the general public. But if you ask me what worries the, me the most and what keeps me up at night, on this day when we are having this podcast, uh, we are celebrating our nurses. This is uh, yeah. our National Nurses Week. And yeah. when we don't social distance and we compromise the health of others that are around us, what keeps me up at night more than anything is the risk we are putting our frontline caregiver uh, at when they will be needed if we do not uh, have the intestinal fortitude, if I can use that term, to socially distance and just live in that for a, a period of time. If we put caregivers at risk, they will not be able to care for those who are sick. So socially distancing, using masks, uh, cleaning our hands, whatever is required is not only important, for our loved ones in the community, but for those that are on the front line that are necessary to care for those who are not well. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Are you able to touch on maybe a story or two, maybe maybe one story 
about a hero. We hear that term hero a lot thrown around and for good reason. Are you able to share maybe briefly uh, an example of a hero story that you've seen over the last month or two? Yeah, I will. Um, you know, uh, during this pandemic, uh, as the chief executive for uh, this region, I have tried to get out uh, fairly regularly to our hospitals and uh, visit with our caregivers and thank them for what they do. One day, uh, I was at uh, St. Joseph, excuse me, Holy Cross uh, Hospital in Mission Hills, and I was on our COVID-19 unit, and I was walking past a, a, uh, a patient room that looked like it was torn apart. Uh, I, I, I wasn't exactly sure what was happening there because everything just seemed to be kind of in disarray in that room. Obviously, there was no patient in that room, but everything seemed to be in disarray. And there were two environmental service aides that were standing outside of the room. One was a supervisor and one was another uh, EVS uh, caregiver. And I asked them what was happening in the room. And they said, well, one of our one of their caregivers, one of our other EVS caregivers, as they often refer to themselves, EVS is environmental service aid, is in the room sterilizing it, and he's the best we have. And I said, really? Uh, tell, me, tell me why. And they said, because he takes everything apart. Okay, so now I understood why that room was in such disarray. And he was in the room, I, I, I had my mask on and I glanced in, and he was spraying a disinfectant unit to sterilize everything around the room and you could see his intensity. And so we stopped and we were able to bring him out of the room and we talked to him and I said, you know, thank you because I've always said in all my career, when I interact with our environmental service aides, they are uh, sometimes not recognized for how they save lives by keeping infections, uh, viruses and other things that can put other caregivers and for that matter, family and, and patients at risk, they are the ones on the front line of making sure that doesn't happen. And so, um, you know, I spoke to this caregiver about what an amazing job he was doing and, and made sure that he understood how he was saving lives. In particular, during COVID-19, we still are not completely clear on how long this virus lives on different surfaces. We believe, for example, on glass, that virus can live for an extended period of time, up to seven days. Uh, on plastic, a little bit less. Fortunately, with direct sunlight, uh, the virus doesn't last long at all. But on all those services, uh, surfaces in that room that he was digging into and under, uh, they could last for a while. So the work that caregiver did was truly extraordinary. I think they are the unsung heroes. We know that our nurses who have been unbelievable during this crisis, that they are dealing directly with patients, that they are fearful for going home and keeping their own loved ones healthy. They are heroes. So are the physicians that are putting, along with the nurses and other caregivers, you know, personal protective equipment, very hard to and doff that equipment. Uh, so there are so many heroes, but that particular day, that touched my heart. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And I like, I like that it wasn't a story 
I mean, it's good when you hear stories and then share, but you were actually there, right, to see it firsthand. So that's really cool. One of the reasons um, why I go so, out is to be there with our caregivers and to experience the difficulty that they're going through. It helps me in my leadership, you know, as we make decisions and we think about how resources need to be deployed, the best way I can do that is to understand what my caregivers are going through and what my patients are going through. Awesome. I'm, you're making those rounds. Um, so COVID-19, you know, that's business for the hospital that, that brings in revenue. But what's happening at the nation, and this is probably not news if the, for the healthcare professionals listening, this is definitely not news. The hospital census tend to be down as elective surgeries and the fear of using an emergency department, things like that. So could you briefly touch on the overall impact to Providence as a sustainable business? And then maybe touch on the hope that maybe elective surgeries or the operating rooms opening up, maybe kind of, kind of combine those two questions. Yeah, Gavin, good, good questions, uh, because this also is an area we've talked about a lot of learns. There are a good number of learnings that have come out of what to do in the response to a pandemic uh, and to be thoughtful in, in process of uh, turning services off and the implications for that. Let me start with a question about Providence and its stability. Uh, fortunately, Providence sized scale and its financial resources have allowed us to uh, be stable through as a uh, extraordinarily difficult time. Uh, like other healthcare providers, we have seen a material decline in our revenues and a huge increase in our expenses. And we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, the, the stimulus package that the federal government has put together and is deploying is helpful. Uh, it will not uh, come close to offsetting the financial uh, deterioration that institutions like Providence and others have experienced. I fear smaller standalone institutions will not endure through this crisis and we will see closure. Uh, I, I feel very confident that Providence will come through this. Uh, in, in some ways, we may be stronger on the, on, the, uh, on the far end of this, but we are certainly feeling the stress and strain and having to make some hard decisions uh, for furloughing uh, our caregivers, uh, in structuring things in a way that allow us to be even more efficient so that we can come through this so Providence will, will do well. But let's get to the, the question about, uh, you know, what happens in a pandemic like this as we make these declarations, which I think all of us believed was the right thing to do, and that was to stop doing what has been called elective surgeries. So we should not be calling it elective surgery. Uh, we think that surgeries that come into the hospital and are done in one day and people go home, that those are not necessarily uh, urgent or essential. We have called those elective. And so when we went into this pandemic, a lot of states and even the federal government and frankly health systems turned off or suggested that quote unquote elective surgery should stop. And what that wound up being was almost all of our outpatient surgeries. Only surgeries we continued to do were emergency 
surgeries where patients remained on an inpatient basis. There were still some outpatient surgeries. As a healthcare provider, I think we in the United States have to reterm these surgeries. Uh, elective uh, could be um, cosmetic type surgeries where they can wait. Maybe even uh, knee surgery, for example. Uh, I, I have a meniscus that I think needs to be corrected. I'm walking fine. I don't run as well, but that can wait, uh, you know, for weeks and even months. But there are a lot of surgeries that are essential surgeries, uh, tumor excisions, for example. Um, you know, surgeries that are life and death situations that cannot be off. And when we went into this pandemic and we said, cancel elective surgeries, many of those across the United States were canceled. Yes, that had a big revenue impact on us, but more importantly, it put people's health at risk. And uh, I think people got nervous about coming to the hospital and getting COVID-19. Hospitals, turns out, are the safest places to be because of all the procedures. And even what I talked about that our wonderful EVS colleague performs every day. And transmission of COVID-19 in hospitals is very rare. So there, let me go to a, another extent, uh, talking about our emergency departments. There are patients that have not come to our emergency to patients that have in the past when they didn't feel well. They may have pain and they thought that they could tough it out at home. People have died because of that. We have an example of a patient, a lady who was having symptoms of at home and thought that she could endure and get better by herself. And she came days later and it was too late for us to administer clock busting pharmaceuticals that would have allowed her to have a lifestyle that she had before and now she is permanently paralyzed. So oh, we have to be very careful and we will be the next time a pandemic occurs and I believe it will be in our lifetimes, unfortunately, that we don't just turn the machine that is so important to providing health and safety to people off, that we, we compartmentalize that care. We can do that, we can do it effectively and still provide care to others. Thanks, Eric. That's uh, that's a really good uh, story, and I you're the first person who I mean, there may have been others, but you're the first person kind of helped to redefine what elective surgeries should you know maybe be defined as in the future. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, as we get close to the end of the show, uh, I wanted to ask, you know, while you guys are going to be okay, I'm sure you won't turn away any support. Uh, for your hospitals or ministries, as you uh, you folks refer to them in turn, how can people support Providence, St. Joseph Health in Southern California? The outpouring of support that we have gotten, it's been incredible. Uh, people have arrived at our hospitals with food for carers. Uh, I know of a, a benefactor in Burbank, uh, if I, I hope they won't mind, but Eddie and Murphy Romano, uh, that 
have been leading our capital campaign for the emergency department there that found ways of together um, protein baskets for our caregivers. And those protein baskets were brought to inpatient units and our emergency department people on breaks just to have a little nosh of something to uh, give them energy. We have also had many donors, including one give $100,000 to support uh, bringing either equipment or supplies that are needed so that we can surge during the crisis. We, we had a strategy and we implemented it to be able to surge 40% above our 100% capacity so that each of our hospitals could have 140% uh, of capacity for our, our most severely ill patients in our ICUs and on our monitored units. So Arnold Schwarzenegger, our former governor, uh, recently gave 10,000 N95 masks to uh, Providence St. Joseph to use those across our ministries and provide those masks to those that are caring for patients with COVID-19. Right now, you know, an answer to how the community can support us, I, I, I think restore your, your confidence, uh, I would say, community, that hospitals in California and beyond, not just Providence, uh, have a public, uh, a, a public service announcement that's running right now that uh, Dignity, uh, Tars, uh, Cedars-Sinai, uh, UCLA, uh, USC, uh, that we have come together to, in this public service announcement, to try to restore confidence in our communities that if you need care, come to the hospital. I think that's the most important thing right now, Gavin and Zach, that if our community could support us it would be in knowing that we are a safe place to receive care. Two reasons for it. One, and first and foremost, is for our patients in the community to take care of themselves so they don't put their lives at risk. But also to begin to get health systems, our physician offices, our ambulatory care centers back up and running in, in their full, uh, in, in their full uh, fashion so that where caregivers can get back to work uh, so that we can continue to keep the health system health, healthy and safe and functioning well. That would be the most important thing. Have confidence that we are doing this and we're doing it well for you. We would never put our patients at risk. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, I know that, uh, that we, I mean, it's been busy. I, you, uh, we talked about it earlier. You are, uh, the lucky ones that has a place to go and work. Uh, you got to see our uh, our home offices and hear some of our homework <laughs> companions. I appreciate uh, you being uh, nimble through that. But um, you know, this I'm back. I think Gavin. <laughs> Sorry, uh, you, I think Gavin mentioned earlier, uh, and I, I really liked the way that that he put it. That uh, the COVID stuff is not the point of this podcast, and it's not uh, what we want the podcast to be about. But it's such a relevant. Um, uh, topic and and something that is important for people to hear. And not only that, um, it's important for people to hear that our leadership is calm and confident. And more than anything, uh, I think that uh, came across today. And and it was a pleasure having you on again, Eric. Thanks again for sitting down with us. 
you join a, a special group of repeat guests that uh, that isn't very long. The list isn't very long. So thanks a lot for your time today. Thank you. you guys hear me? We yes. can. Eric. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Eric, to apply to Zach there, but uh, I think the recording will be fine, even though my thing popped off there for a second. So well, what I yeah, want to it was say, all smooth on our end. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I just want to say in closing is uh, I have so enjoyed, I think this is our third podcast together. I, when you, when you reached out to me and said, Would you be willing, I jumped at the opportunity. Uh, I always uh, enjoy speaking with both of you, myself available for future opportunities. And thanks for all that you're doing to keep the public informed of the important things that are happening in healthcare. You are a gift to us. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Pop Health Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you have and want to check out other episodes, visit us at pophealthpodcast.com, iTunes or Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and now YouTube as well. Take care.